welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper, with my co-host, Gabe. What's going on? It's G-A-B-E Pacheco. I'm here. Gabe Pacheco is here, bringing the enthusiasm, the excitement, the joie de vivre, if you will. Wearing my favorite flannel. He's wearing a flannel. It's Enjoying very cute. hump day. Hump day. That's the Yiddish pronunciation. It's the Katie Halper Show. We're here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. We're also on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're here, of course, with our engineer at the helm you're the helmsman you're the helmsman oh well, reggie okay. helmsman johnson yay everybody um and that is of course because reggie you can let la- reggie's doing the thing that gabe used to do reggie let it out i see you laughing and holding it back he's being very Jewish i am listening mother. to you thank you so much for holding back your audible laughter because that if anything makes for good radio it is that Laugh ninja laughs. Yeah, the ninja laugh. It makes it so much more powerful when he does laugh out loud, right? He makes us want it and work for it. And that's good. And we're going to be having a great show. We're going to be having a return guest, Nando Villa, the man who put reparations on the map. <laughs> and we're going to have Premlin Addison, who writes about domestic workers. And she's going to be talking to us about organizing and uh, the minimum wage campaign, the living wage campaign, the Clintons, and why they're actually maybe just as bad as Reagan, which is crazy. But first, we're going to give you a little flavor of what our show was two weeks ago. We had a live show in the actual physical space at Brooklyn Commons. That is our want, right? And we're doing that the first Wednesday of the month. So you guys got to come down to 388 Atlantic Avenue. See us in the flesh. Get some empanadas. Get some empanadas. Get some wine. Watch us. It was so cool because a great guy, Freddie, I hope you're listening. I know you are. Freddie came and he said, hi, Katie, I just want to introduce myself to you. I'm Freddie and I wanted to show you my brown eyes because as he knows, we have a brown eyes only policy. On when it comes show. to guests. When yeah. it comes to guests. We've let a couple people in out of a kind of guilt, brown eyed guilt, as it's known <laughs> in the academic circles. But first, we're going to give you a little flavor of what our show was. So we're going to play you. What this was was a feminist panel on Hillary versus Bernie. It's a very funny, cool part where we had people basically making the argument for their other candidates. So- we're pumped. Up. We believe in in having everyone at the table, literally. So that's why we have such a great full-figured panel. What? <laughs> the panel, Sally. Wow. First of all, first of all, real women have curves. I mean, they don't have to, but they definitely can be real and have curves. So what? No. Okay. We're curve positive in this community. I thought that we could start tonight's debate by doing a little bit of like a kumbaya thing where we explain where we are on the candidates, but you make the best argument for the person you're not defending. Mm. 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 Right? How's that? And we can hold hands too um, <laughs> while we do it. But I'll happily strike. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah Leonard of The Nation, Woo! senior editor of The Nation. I'll make an argument for Hillary who I'm not going to vote for and uh, in the primary, in the primary, <laughs> at least. Um, oh, and and the, the argument I would make is it seems absolutely transparently clear that no progressive president is going to get anything through the next Congress. And so if that's the case, and fundamentally everyone's platform is somewhat untenable, then why wouldn't you break a glass ceiling in the process and say, you know, at least now girls and boys will grow up knowing that men are not more powerful than women, 
uh, women can boss them around, that's fine. And also, you know, every woman will get a kick out of seeing a woman occupy the most powerful position in the world, perhaps. Um, so I think that's a, that's a strong argument for Hillary, who I will not be voting for. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so you're, which is your candidate? Just yeah, kidding. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank Rubio. you. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually like a like a strong Rubio supporter. I know that's why we we needed one Rubio supporter. Um, yeah. Sally's our um, Cruz supporter. Oh, thank so God. yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take the Sanders argument. Okay. Amanda Marcotte from Salon. So the argument for Sanders, I think, is a pretty solid one, which is that you know I would get a kick out of seeing somebody who calls himself a socialist get the nomination for the Democratic, the Democratic nomination and possibly win, especially um, if he goes up against Trump, yeah. which is like going to be, I, I, I wouldn't call it a slam dunk, but I would say like you, nothing but net, you know? <laughs> yeah, enough of a net, enough a net. Hashtag enough a net. Okay, cool. Liza Featherstone of the nation. So as someone um, very much on record as a Hillary opponent and Sanders supporter, um, I'll, I'll say some nice things about Hillary. I think uh, one of the strongest arguments for Hillary is the explicit naming of some um, really important women's issues in this campaign that have thus then become part of the national debate. Um, and um, my favorite of those personally would be the Hyde Amendment, that she talks all the time about re repealing the Hyde Amendment, which um, prevents so many um, um, low-income women from accessing abortion, um, and, um, and also paid family leave, which has really become, which had already become a big part of the public discourse before this campaign, but I think her constantly talking about it has um, has added a lot, and um, you know now even um, a horrible ghoul like Governor Andrew Cuomo is now a <laughs> champion of it as well. You know, so um, that's uh, you know shout out to Hillary. Uh, Jamia Wilson, feminist writer, activist. So I'll take a stab at talking about the candidate who I will not be voting for in the okay. primary, who will be Bernie Sanders like many of my other South Carolinian black women brethren also agree with me. But what I will say is that I like the idea of a president who would be the first non-Christian president of this mm. country. I think that that would be a major step forward for us as a nation, specifically around the conversation of separation between church and state and the reality of that and setting that in motion. Um, and I say this as a Christian. I also believe that medicinal marijuana and marijuana just being legal would be welcomed by many people would in this country. Awesome. <laughs> would yeah. be awesome Ooh, and dude. welcomed. Um, and I think that that is something that Bernie Sanders has been bold enough to unapologetically carry the mantle for. Siham Mila from Maghreb for Bernie. Yep. Oh. I'll go as a... Um, I'll have a shout out for Hillary as well for, um, you know, coming from um, an African country. I really admire her work in, um, in uh, Central um, Africa to uh, bring education to women and to uh, ch like children and actually make it um, a f an okay idea and a um, inspiring idea to go against your parents or your 
um, your fellow um, community to seek an education and um, and be powerful as a um, minority, um, as a woman to actually work against the system and um, go for higher education and even make it all the way to Western world and come back and help that community. Candace Fortin from Rock for Bernie. Okay, um, I'll give a little shout out for Hillary. Um, I would say that I'm very impressed by her level of adaptability, um, her ability to see um, a lot of the frustrations and anger that are coming from the Democratic Party and progressives and their needs from a Democratic candidate at this point. Um, I am impressed by that. Um, whether it's genuine or not, I'm not sure, but um, I am impressed by the fact that she can at least adapt to it and uh, be a face for it. So that's pretty tenacious, and um, I'll leave it at that for now. Tenacious C. Yes, tenacious C, yes. Tenacious D reference, someone can explain that, ask someone, and um, C is for Clinton. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good reference. Sally Cohn is a commentator on CNN. I feel actually like pretty proud to be a Democrat, and the uh, debate the other night made me feel really good that we have two substantive Candidates. There wasn't enough talk of penises, though. I know. That was, yeah, but there was 20 minutes so on trade wanna, policy. If Come you want to talk shade, one of them isn't a Democrat. Uh, <laughs> that's don't yeah. don't give shade right. to Hillary. How are you going to talk shade about Hillary like that? I was section, Marka. All right. Why are you going to diss Hillary so, for being a Democrat? Uh, I am generally more pro Bernie than Hillary. So here's what I would say about Hillary, um, uh, genuinely, uh, which is. I think she'd be an amazing president. I have concerns. My concerns are more about what she would do as president. But uh, I'll be honest, one of the things that has uh, been troubling for me watching um, President Obama from the outside and also with friends who've been on the inside of his administration is I think he's an amazing campaigner. He has an amazing vision. Uh, he's an incredible communicator. He's not very interested in the details of governing uh, and the sort of uh, uh, you know nuts and bolts of bureaucracy. And I think she is. Okay. I think she would be an excellent uh, executive, I think she would, um, you know, manage government incredibly well. I think it would function better and and well under her. And yes, I think the political environment would be really tough, no matter who's elected. But I think she's really good at the hardball politics. And I also think, you know, we've had a lot of people in political leadership who don't understand the right wing, and mm. who don't understand the kind of hate and backlash and anger and you know and, and deep fire in the belly of the right and I think she does and I and in this moment in time I would find that immensely comforting to have someone in the White House who really understands what we as a people are up against great great thank you guys Gabe you know what uh, here I'm gonna I'm, I got praise for both of them right now mmm nice. here we go Bernie he uh, he's uh, he says everything that I like and he's been saying it forever uh, as far as I can tell from watching all the video mashups, uh, his um, his views on uh, on gay marriage have stayed the same. His views on drugs and justice, and he's been a socialist through and through the whole time. And I like that. I would have voted for Eugene V. Debs if mm. I was born a couple generations <laughs> who, who ago. Bernie made a documentary about. Did you guys know that? I didn't even know that. Uh, I just found out now that he got a real job late in life, and that's cool with me. Um, uh, when it comes to Hillary, uh, I oh, but yeah, I'm kind of worried that Bernie doesn't know anything about um, uh, the, the world outside of the U.S. other than socialized uh, health care in Europe. And we and are not Europe. When it comes to Hillary, oh man, she's had every job. 
She knows what it's like on a local level being a fly on the wall uh, when Clinton was governor, when Bill Clinton was governor. She uh, uh, was a corporate lawyer, you know, knows how big business works, you know, worked with Walmart. Awesome. Um, <laughs> she is... Uh, Andrew Young was on their board, right? She um, became stuff. a senator of a state that she wasn't really, uh, like, down with until she became the senator of that state. That's cool that New York, like, she was able to get New York to, like, love her so instantly. Um, and then what, was, what else is really cool about her? Oh, she, uh, foreign policy. She understands foreign policy. She was Secretary of State, which is like the biggest role that you can have in the US government um, when dealing with the rest of the world. So on paper, she's done all of the things. She's got qualifications on every level uh, to become president. What I'm worried about is uh, um, calling uh, kids super predators and NAFTA. Calling kids NAFTA is not cool. Don't call kids. <laughs> it's CAFTA, don't. guys. I don't know. Show so. some respect. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling the burn. I want to make it very clear I don't hate Hillary Clinton. I would say that there are people who are progressive and, and who hate Hillary with a vitriol that would, they would not feel towards a man. And I think that supporting a candidate Despite that, not to be reactionary, but despite that is an important thing to say and show to the progressive movement. I would say that Hillary's strength, uh, strength and weakness, would be her experience in foreign policy. She does have chops that Sanders doesn't have. Mm -hmm. But I think the chops are problematic, to use a diplomatic word. Um, and I think this is something that it isn't discussed a lot. And we are going to leave it there because we want to have you on the edge of your seats into Spence. Uh, we're going to talk to a former guest who's been not only on the radio show but on the live show, and he's going to put this conversation in context because we need a man to do that because out of affirmative action, out of our commitment to affirmative action, we've really overwhelmed Gabe and Reggie. I need, I need a third dude in here to just help explain everything yes. to me. And, and we couldn't get a third dude physically in here, but spiritually we will. <laughs> and you can feel the testosterone is coming in through the airwaves. I don't know if you can hear it, people listening to the show. But we want to have just a little hot take before we have our interview with Premila Nadison about domestic workers and how this country will be transformed by them, basically. So good news, unless you're terrible racist sexist, in which case, sorry, trigger warning. <laughs> But uh, we're going to speak right now to Nando Villa of Fusion, the man who asked Bernie Sanders about reparations. Nando, are you there? Hey, how are you guys? Good, you? I'm good, I'm good. Happy to inject some testosterone into this low T fest. Yes, estrogen is like literally drowning Gabe and Reggie. You have no idea. They're, their yeah. hands are up yeah. like <laughs> above the estrogen trying to reach out for help. And so, I'm here to help. Yeah, Nando's here to the rescue. Like Mandy to the rescue. Remember that? The you testosterone guys know that? smells like pennies. Like pennies? Yeah. Really? Is that I, true? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm Is that because I'm Jewish? Is that why you're saying that? Wow, I'm just really? kidding, Reggie. Come <laughs> really? on. I don't even believe anti-Semitism exists. Just, it doesn't on a structural level. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but wow. I know yeah. I went there. I went yeah, there. Yeah, you went there. And speaking of Israel and Jews, we have an interesting little parallel with Nando. Not that he's either, but Nando, tell us where you're from, and then we'll... I'll explain that great um, analogy. I'm from Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. So why do I bring up the Jew-Israel thing? Because that's a big deal uh, in Miami, Florida. You know what else is a big deal in Miami, Florida? The Cuba thing. Yes. On that note, can you please tell us what you felt about 
the Rubio loss. In case you guys didn't know, Marco Rubio, as if it's not enough that his brother served as a Green Beret and lost his two front teeth, which is true, and which Marco Rubio said during a debate. My brother's a veteran. We're very proud of him in our family. He served as a Green Beret in the 7th Special Forces from 1968 through 1971. And as part of his training, he jumped out of an airplane and he lost his two front teeth. And for years, he's had to go to get these dental claims. And every time he goes to get one of these dental claims filled, the VA asks him, well, how do we know you lost your teeth in the Army? And he says, well, it's the only time I ever jumped out of a plane. But he's had to fight through this process, and I've watched it firsthand. Because uh, some people have lost arms and relatives, but the two front teeth are like the most important teeth. You're chompers. What are you going to do without right. those? Yeah. You can't eat apples. Straw, yeah. Right? So yeah. now the Rubio family has to face and deal with... Reggie, don't... Reggie's literally covering up <laughs> his mouth with his hand. Take your hand down and laugh. Okay, so... Um, now the Rubio family has to deal with the loss of their older son's teeth, front teeth, and um, the loss of Marco's presidential aspirations. So please, can you share some insight into this? Well, uh, Marco Rubio is from Miami. So it turns out Miami-Dade County is the only county that he won in the Florida primary, which is a little sad given that he's the senator of, uh, from Florida. Yeah, the Marco Rubio campaign has been defined largely by his donors. It's hard to remember a campaign that was more nakedly just whatever the donors say, that's whatever I'll say. Norman Brayman, who's a, uh, a billionaire from Miami, um, major car dealer, who used to own the Philadelphia Eagles. He's one of his donors. Paul, donor. Sorry, we're bra uh, you're breaking up a little bit. I think it's because you're speaking truth to power. And... Uh... The, and Rupert Murdoch is, yeah, reacting. I, I think the um, the Miami Illuminati is yeah. jamming the signal. Yeah. Jose yeah. Marti Radio is uh, taking over your, your line. That, that tends to happen whenever, you know, whenever I get on the phone. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, better. Okay. It's shocking that a, a campaign that was basically designed to serve the interests of uh, rich donors didn't get any uh, support from actual voters. That's a shame. Um, yeah. I, do, you, do you guys think it has anything to do with that dry mouth that Rubio experienced when he gave the response to the State of the Union uh, address yeah. and grabbed a bottle of water mid-speech? Uh, Unclear, right? Yeah. It could. That was, that was like a weak could moment. Be, yeah. Reggie, well, I mean, I think, I, think Chris Christie, I think Chris Christie uh, in the debate when he called him out for just repeating himself over and over again, I think that was, that was probably the end of it. Right. Chris Christie, big player. Also, yeah. Rubio uh, presented himself and his family as having fled Castro, which they did on a time machine that let them do that because he actually, they fled under Batista, the guy before Castro. Right. Uh, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a pretty funny uh, story. But that was, that, was, that was a couple of years ago when yeah, that came out. Right. It's um, Rubio still managed to get past it. I mean, he maintained pretty strong Cuba cred amongst the local hardliners. Right. And were, you were at the debate, correct, in Miami? Yeah, the, and, the Democratic one. Yeah, the Democratic the one, sorry. And yeah. uh, you work with Jorge Ramos. I do. The man who not only got kicked out of a press conference by Trump, so we already love him, but he also asked Clinton what would happen if she got indicted. If you get indicted, would you drop out? Oh, for goodness, that is not going to happen. I'm not even answering that question. Yeah, and then she dismissed it. She, she refused to answer the question, yeah. And, and Ramos also got both Clinton and Bernie Sanders to promise not to deport anyone without a criminal record. I, I want to be very specific. So you're telling us tonight that if you become president, you won't deport children who are already here? I will not. And that you won't deport immigrants who don't have a criminal record? That's what, that's what I'm telling you. Now, 
I, I don't want, because I'm not contradicting what I told you in the interview. Asylum is a particular legal process. I'd like to see it changed. I'd like to see us give more support to people who come fleeing the terrible violence that they do. But under our law, we have a process we have to go through, so you which would stop, is different. You would stop those deportations? I would stop... The deportations for children yes. and those who don't have a criminal record? Of, our, of the people, the undocumented people living in our country, I do not want to see them deported. I want to see them on a path to citizenship. That is exactly what I will do. Senator, Senator Sanders, would you, can you promise us tonight that you won't deport children? Let me just say this. I don't think that the Secretary uh, fully answered your question. And I think the proof may be in the pudding. Uh, Honduras and that region of the world may be the most violent region in our hemisphere. Uh, gang lords, vicious people, torturing people, doing horrible things to families. Children fled that part of the world to try, 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 maybe, to meet up with their family members in this country, taking a route that was horrific, trying to start a new life. Secretary Clinton did not support those children coming into this country. I did. Now, I happen to agree with President Obama on many, many issues. I think he's done a great job as President of the United States. He is wrong on this issue of deportation. I disagree with him on that. So to answer your question, no, I will not deport children from the United States of America. And can you promise not to deport immigrants who don't have a criminal record? I can make that promise. Which I thought was kind of remarkable. Yeah. It kind of went unnoticed, I think, in, in a lot of... Well, not by Katie Halper. No, not by Katie Halper, yeah, obviously. Okay. I just I mean, you catch everything. Yeah. I mean, the big, the big news story is Jorge Ramos gets them to promise not to deport people. Katie Halper notices. Without criminal records, though. Without criminal right. records, right. I notice without having a right. criminal record. Hey, so yeah. if they no, have gotten saying, a right. jaywalking ticket, right. though, could could they be deported? Yeah, like, walking while Central American? Uh, is that, I mean, is the jaywalking ticket? Uh, I don't know if that counts as a criminal record, Gabe. Outstanding. If they don't, if they don't pay it? Yeah, exactly. An outstanding ticket? I think it does right. if you're black, but not if you're not black. Right, that's true. Let's just, yeah. Everyone knows that, right. yeah. Any, any other hot takes from last time? We're, we're going to start a, a segment called Non-Nuance News. Wow, I really, <laughs> we could do it with Nando, but that's not because you're not nuanced. I just mean we have these <laughs> short little things, but it is it is quite alliterative when we have you on. So maybe we'll just find people whose names start with N in case you can't do it every week. Right. Although you should want to structure your weekly <laughs> routine around just, Non-Nuance I'll, News. I'll, I'll, I'll try to... Clear make my hot less and less nuanced as, as yeah as, as exactly possible. so like if you yeah. have the chance to talk to bernie sanders again you could be like well if it's not wednesday between the hour of six and seven maybe because right. i'll be doing the non-nuanced news right. um but yeah any any just quick takeaways from last night about anything you want the elections about the supreme court nomination about whatever the weather in in la uh, I was I was kind of interested in the Supreme Court uh, nom uh, nominee. You know, it seems like a, an olive branch from Obama to the Republicans, but like it seems like the Republicans have always beat back Obama's olive branches. That, that, that strategy has never worked for him. Right. So I was a little a little puzzled by that. Yeah, like beating um, olive branches into plowshares. Right. I think that's from the Bible. Um, yeah. Maybe my, my part, not yours, guys. 
right. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you get to see Clinton or, or Sanders up close? Are, are you are you not convinced that they actually exist? That they're just like you know projections? Yeah, from, they're holograms. You know, the, the plutocrats. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I'm pretty sure they actually exist. Bernie, I've touched Bernie Sanders, so he definitely exists. Uh, on his, uh, in his heart or physically? In, in, well, in, no, physically. I touched him Where? on his skin. Where did you on put his him? hand? I shook his hand. Oh, you you shook his hand. I I got excited. I thought you put your hand on his or like on, on his yeah on his bosom no. or hand. Just kidding. No. Um, no, I thought you touched him like as opposed to shaking his hand. But right. <laughs> Gabe is kind of confused. Um, that's yeah, because I guess I guess technically I, anyone I've shaken hands with I've touched. I just don't think of it that way. Um, you don't think of it that way? No, I think that's funny. It's interesting. I'm really learning a lot about myself. About boundaries, handshaking. I like this idea that Hillary and Bernie could have been holograms, though. Uh, it would have been great to see him like next next summer at Coachella, like performing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Nando, thank you so much. That's been the non-nuanced take with Nando. Just kidding. That's been the very nuanced first-person take from a local Miamian. They are hard to come by, and willing. They They're hard to come by. It's hard to come by local Miamians willing to come on the Katie Halper show because maybe we don't agree on certain issues. I might be the only. I might be the only one. Yeah, you're right. In the world. Yeah. Thank God. Well, Nanda, we will talk to you soon. Enjoy the LA weather. Say hi to Jorge. Say thanks for. Um, say you're welcome for for my noticing, and uh, thanks for the, the deportation policy shift. And uh, again, that was Nando Villa of Fusion. Check out his really cool, cool, cool video about the difference between Sanders and Clinton and kind of the left and liberals. And we'll play a clip of that. That'll be great. Cool. Okay, bye. Thanks for coming. The fight between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton has been way nastier than anyone could have predicted. Remember when Clinton was supposed to coast to an easy coronation? Yeah, that didn't happen. And the reason the campaign has been so bitter is because they have a fundamental disagreement over what the government should do in America. Clinton believes that the government should create an even playing field. Then, it's up to you, the citizen, to succeed by working very hard and being more talented than your peers. She outlined this vision in her campaign launch speech. President Roosevelt called on every American to do his or her part. It's America's basic bargain. If you do your part, you ought to be able to get ahead. And when everybody does their part, America gets ahead too. Basically, the government is supposed to just give you a shot. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. And the rest is up to you. If you work really hard and are really smart, you'll succeed. If not, you won't. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, believes that the government should work to create an equality of outcomes. Basically, that everyone deserves a similar level of economic security, no matter how hardworking or talented they are. Here is Bernie Sanders' campaign launch speech. As Franklin Delano Roosevelt reminded us, a nation's greatness is judged not by what it provides to the most well-off, but how it treats the people most in need, and that is the kind of country we must become. To be fair, Clinton's vision of America is the one that's been programmed into our American brains from birth by both political parties and basically every institution in our lives. And it's an idea that sounds very fair and good on the surface. But what Bernie Sanders is arguing is that the notion that America is a real meritocracy is a total sham. The economy is rigged. 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 Is the economy rigged? R-I-G-G-E-D. This becomes obvious when you look at how much richer the top 1% has gotten in recent decades. But the flaws in our so-called meritocracy can be seen in other, less obvious areas. 
For example, did you know that the easiest way to predict the child's SAT scores is to look at his parents' tax returns? By now, you've all heard of the 1% versus the 99%. The fight for the Democratic Party is this. On the one side, the argument is that the 1% should include more women, minorities, and LGBT people. On the other side, the 1% shouldn't exist at all. So there you have it. This thing only boils down to the small little matter of what you believe to be fundamentally just and equal. No pressure. And that was Nandavilla Fusion. And now we are so excited to talk to our special guest of the hour. This is a big deal, guys. Who is it? It is Premila Nadison, who is an author, professor. And Premila Nadison is also the author of Household Workers Unite. And she's giving a talk at the Tamament Library in uh, New York City, March 22nd, between 6 and 7.30. Premila, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Hi Katie. How are you? Good. You? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for coming. And um, again, her, her, you also wrote Welfare Warriors, the welfare rights movement in the United States. That's right. So I'm really interested in the questions of low-income women, especially women of color, and organizing for economic justice. Right. And that's the relationship between your writing and research and kind of your positions and electoral politics versus social organizing. And maybe that's a false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Did I ask you well, enough questions I, up front? Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think that uh, social movement organizing plays a huge role in, uh, in electoral politics, although it doesn't always necessarily do so directly in the sense that social movement organizing I think, pushes political debate in a particular direction. And so we've seen, you know, over the past 15 years, starting with Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter, the Fight for 15 movement, domestic worker organizing, um, we've seen uh, much more focus and attention to questions of economic inequality in this country. And I think that has uh, sort of created a space for somebody like Bernie Sanders to emerge uh, as a potential leading candidate. Uh, it has forced someone like Hillary Clinton, who's actually quite moderate in our politics, to begin to address questions of economic justice and, and, um, and poverty. And so I think that social movement organizing plays a big role in kind of framing the political issues at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And you wrote a really interesting article that's pretty related to what's happening now, um, called How a Democrat Killed Welfare. And uh, you say, some, you open it with, Bill Clinton's 92 election was meant to be a turning point in American politics. Liberals breathed a sigh of relief, believing him to be a much-needed break from the Reagan-Bush era of small government and social welfare cuts. Other than offering a reprieve from punitive austerity, Clinton took the Reagan-Bush agenda a step further. If his administration was a turning point, it turned us in the wrong direction. Now, that's a pretty bold claim. And, of course, at the Katie Halper Show, we're all about bold claims. But <laughs> I had a question for you about it being worse, the policies of Clinton being worse. Is it that they're worse objectively on an absolute level, um, or are they worse relative to our expectations because they're more of a betrayal? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think there were high expectations about Clinton's election, uh, and certainly that has kind of shaped the disappointment of people who are on the left. But I also think objectively his policies were much worse. And so I think we can look at two things in particular. We can look at the 1994 crime bill, which gave the federal government a much bigger role in questions of mass incarceration. Uh, it pumped federal money into state law enforcement. Um, 
and really fueled this whole phase of mass incarceration that uh, has created all sorts of social, political, and economic problems today. And then I think the other issue that that we could look at is welfare reform. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Clinton was responsible for essentially dismantling uh, the Aid to Families with Dependent Children program, which was the uh, the economic support system for single parents and their children. It is incredibly difficult for poor single parents today to get any kind of economic assistance. There is a five-year maximum lifetime limit, two-year consecutive limit on welfare. There are now work requirements for anybody who is receiving either welfare assistance or food stamps. Um, and it makes it very, very difficult for parents who are trying to struggle, who are trying to find child care, who have difficulty um, working in jobs because of questions of transportation, uh, who are having trouble paying their rent. So, so I do think that Clinton's policies did make things worse for poor people and for mm. poor people of color in particular. Was it almost like a like a wolf in sheep's clothing that uh, that Bill Clinton was a Democrat coming in? What was the motivation behind sort of these very uh, very punitive and uh, and uh, yeah uh, punitive and like sort of uh, criminalizing poor people? What was the was this something having to do with his own personal philosophy, or was it um, trying to trying to appease uh, the Republican sensibilities of the time coming out of Reagan and Bush era administration? That's actually that's a great question, and I don't think it was necessarily a wolf in sheep's clothing. I think that the period of the 1990s was a relatively conservative mm-hmm. period when we look at electoral politics. Um, and so there was a lot of concern among both Republicans and Democrats at that time uh, about questions of crime, about questions of whether or not people were, quote-unquote, dependent upon welfare for the long term. Uh, now, Bill Clinton was a moderate. Uh, you know, he was a relatively conservative Democrat, and he didn't hide that. Uh, but he did talk about uh, the problems of crime, even during his election. He talked about... Uh, trying to end welfare as we know it. So, you know, it was very clear, I think, from the outset that he was going to take a fairly conservative position on these particular issues. Right. And I think that's an interesting question that Gabe raised. Um, It's pretty fundamental, kind of. Uh, Is how much Clinton, the Clintons, both of them, are motivated by a political philosophy, how much they're motivated by pragmatism? And then I think there's a third issue which is a kind of combination of personal and political, which is how much of it is a power thing, right? As opposed to, in other words, giving themselves power. And I don't mean to sound kind of paranoid. I just think that this probably happens to a lot of politicians, that there's a kind of uh, um, emerging of, of pragmatism and political uh, pragmatism and also personal kind of careerism, professional desires. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if you can speak to that because you, you, know, you probably haven't talked to them. But you know what? You no, also I don't need to talk to them to speak to that. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, Bill Clinton uh, was an incredibly ambitious politician. Right. Hillary Clinton is an incredibly ambitious politician, and they actually have that in common. Um, and, and so I think it was absolutely about personal power, mm-hmm. um, and I think they pushed the Democratic Party further to the right, it wasn't all that radical to begin with, and uh, you know, prior to their uh, to his presidency, but they certainly moved the party further and further to the right. Um, and I think we see something very similar with Hillary Clinton right now in the election in terms of 
her own personal ambitions really uh, dominating, especially during the early part of the election season, her concerns, her issues, the way she framed things. Um, you know, and I think the question for me is, you know, is the primary uh, issue right now that we want the first woman president? Mm. You know, and I think a lot of people are questioning that and saying, well, right. perhaps that's not the most important thing when we have, you know, very serious political issues uh, that, that this country has to address. And I actually have a question for you about that issue and kind of the identity politics um aspect of what's going on to two questions one is i find it uh hard as a woman i'm frustrated because i know there's a double standard and i know that hillary is seen as more calculating and more machiavellian than she is because she's a woman but she also hello katie oh hello i i just lost you for a little bit are you there there? can you hear us now yes okay sorry yes uh, you see what happened? I start c- criticizing uh, Hillary Clinton and talking about sexism and nuance and what happens. We get cut <laughs> off. We know. We know. Um, the, the two issues. There's a, a racial issue. Of course, race is a construct, but let's not pretend that I should say race issue or racist issue. Right. But um, and a gender one. So lots of people are saying um, that non-black people are telling black people what's in their best interest and that they are being kind of naive. Um, How can people talk about this issue without reinforcing that dynamic, one, for one? And then also, how can we talk about Hillary's Machiavellian and calculating nature without reinforcing the kind of Lady Macbeth narrative of a woman being cold and unnatural when she's like that? Because I think, (laughs) Gabe, you can laugh. (laughs) Because I think... um, I think I, I'm torn as a feminist. I'm actually pretty frustrated that I'm being put in the position to be expected to talk for a woman who I also think her policies are, you know, I'm, I'm, a fe- I'm an anti-femicide feminist for Sanders. Anyway, but mm-hmm. could you address uh, either of those issues or both of them? Sure. You know, and I'll, and I'll start with the, the question of Hillary as a feminist. And I would say, first off, that there are multiple definitions yes. of feminism. Right. Um, and the issue of uh, sort of a single individual kind of embodying feminist struggle and her own individual achievements embodying that feminist struggle is something that I disagree with. I mean, I don't think that feminist struggle is about seeing individual women achieve power. Uh, For me, it's about a set of policies and a set of politics. So for me, Hillary Clinton does not embody feminism. Um, She is a particular kind of feminist. Uh, I think she called. I think she calls herself a feminist, uh, and I think she's trying to frame her campaign in that way. Uh, but I think we really do have to look at the issues, and we have to look not just at uh, whether or not she's a woman, but what's best for women. And you know, if we go back to the question of welfare reform that she was very supportive of, and up until very recently has said she thought it was a very good um, piece of legislation. That was a bill that was not good for women. It was right. absolutely not good for poor women. Right. Um, I mean, I think she's benefited from uh, from whoops from feminism. I, I'm I don't consider her. I don't consider supporting her a feminist act. I was more talking about the the fact that there are double standards, and at the same time, like I think she's. I let's say she's like an. Well, this is so not nuanced, and I feel bad and embarrassed because you're an academic and super smart. But let's say Hillary is like an 8 out of 10 on the Machiavellian calculating scale. There are probably some people who see her as a 9 or 10 because she's a woman. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that Mm -hmm. she's not an 8. Right. Absolutely. And that, to me, is a 
is somewhat of a separate issue. I mean, there's all kinds of sexism and right. racism in media portrayals of individuals. Right. And that, to me, doesn't justify either supporting somebody or not supporting yeah, them. So, I think we, we so, all agree here. Yeah, so that. we could look at news coverage and say, of course, this is unfair and she shouldn't be cast in that particular way. Right. But, it, but I don't think it necessarily means that we ought to support her because she's a... I mean, there are lots of people who are victims of sexist of media course, coverage. Right. And, and also, I mean, she her policies, we talked about this last time, you know, if you don't like femicide, which I'm going to guess none of us in this room or, or you, Pramila, does... Um, Liza Featherstone made this point, uh, you know, if you if you kind of want to empower women and don't want femicide and don't want war and destruction, you probably aren't going to support be that enthusiastic about Clinton. How is she able to get uh, so many poor women of color to identify with her as the best candidate? Well, I think that. Oops, we we lost you. Sorry. Can you can you move closer to um yeah. the phone line that you're standing right next to? <laughs> Is that door? better? Yeah, the cell phone tower that you're perched upon. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Bernie Sanders has the same kind of name recognition that Hillary right. Clinton does. So I think she's already starting from an advantage, you know. Um, and so I think there are people who are who might not be as directly engaged in politics or on or are as aware about the issues who just understand that Hillary Clinton is a Democrat and perhaps support her because of the perceived legacy of Bill Clinton as well as her own accomplishments. Um, You know, Bill Clinton, if you remember, uh, back in the 90s, was often called the first black president. So there's a kind of loyalty among African Americans towards the Clintons, and I think that's part of the reason why um, her African American support is as high as it is. Now, I would be interested in looking at an age breakdown among African-Americans because I haven't seen that data yet, uh, but I would imagine that a lot of younger African-Americans um, are supporting Bernie Sanders and not Hillary Clinton. Right. And we've had a couple of really important individuals, and Michelle Alexander is mm-hmm. one of those, who has come out and said uh, that... Why black uh, people Clinton, don't... Right. Sorry. Exactly. That, uh, you know, that the Clintons don't deserve or or Hillary does not deserve the African-American vote. And Tina Hesikos is another one. So I think it's really important to kind of not lump the entire African-American community together, because I think they're important sectors. Students are another one who are, in fact, supporting Bernie Sanders or who are sitting out the election altogether because they're not happy with either candidate. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that's true. The, The representation of kind of a monolith is obviously problematic. Um, oh, and I wasn't saying why why are all right. Oh, no, Hillary's no, I wasn't saying that more, you were saying that. Either. Yeah, but uh, how I guess and that's why I didn't want to say why I wanted to say how. Mm. So what is what are her strategies to sort of how is she galvanizing? Well, she does have the first black president as her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, she does. Yeah. And I, and and I also think her framing her election as an important part of the feminist struggle mm. is also shaping how people are perceiving her and why certain working class women, black and white, right. might choose to support her. I mean, I think we also, you know, there's been a lot of media coverage about why African Americans are supporting Hillary Clinton. I think we also have to ask the question of why women of all racial backgrounds are supporting Hillary Clinton, given her anti-feminist policies. Right. And, of course, um, you're referring to welfare reform, right? And um, 
and the car and the, sorry yeah and and the crime bill yes and, crime and bill, things like that yep that yep created, um, right and 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 she has not come out uh in support for the fight for 15 movement right. i mean her most recent comments that i've read is that she said well we need to fight for 12 dollars right. an hour and when we look at things like the fight for 15 movement it's disproportionately you know poor working class women who are employed in fast food restaurants as as home health care right. aides who are in these jobs where they're not earning enough to support their families. Right. Well, Premalyn Addison, thank you so much for joining us. We totally need to have you back and we'll have you live in studio so we can have the energy of being in person and the, the static free communication. And where can people <laughs> find you online? And everyone make sure you go to the event next uh, on the 22nd at the Tamman Library. And what's your Twitter handle or... Or website? Uh, at at, at Premalyn Addison and PremalynAddison.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Premala. This has been Thank the you, Katie. Katie. Thank you. See you soon in person. This has been the Katie Halper Show with Katie Halper, Gabe Pacheco, Reggie Johnson on the keys. And uh, we're here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. And on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks, yeah, guys. and you can find me at oh, yes. Gabe underscore Pacheco yes. on Twitter. And I'm Katie Halps on Twitter. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye.